This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. What a great topic as Torontonians watch our amazing Toronto Blue Jays in the playoff race. Robert Dominguez is a baseball historian, lifelong Yankees fan, and former writer and editor of the New York Daily News. And now he's telling us all about our favorite baseball legends and giving us a behind-the-scenes look as well at America's favorite pastime. Robert's book, which he co-wrote with David Hinckley, is called Bronx Bummers, The Unofficial History of the New York Yankees' bad boys, blunders, and brawls. And he joins us on the line. Hi, Robert. Hi, Jane. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, now tell us, you obviously have a passion for baseball. Did this, this develop as a, as a young kid, as it did for a lot of us? Oh, sure. Um, I, my family is from Cuba, where baseball is practically religion. And when we moved to the Bronx in the early 60s, uh, we lived maybe three blocks from the old Yankee Stadium. I played Little League where the new stadium is, which is about a block uh, west of that. And the field that is now uh, where the park is, that's, that's where I grew up playing. So it was common to, as a little kid, you'd go with the other neighborhood kids. Either you'd sneak into the stadium or you'd catch a game whenever you could. You know, back then in the 60s and 70s, it was really cheap to get in. And the best part about it was the parking lots for the players weren't as guarded as they are now. So if you waited long enough, you would get some of the players coming out an hour or two after the game. And for the most part, they'd give you autographs. So it was, it was, it was a lot different atmosphere, and you were able to get up close and, and fairly personal with some of the players. And I think that stuck. So when you become a Yankee fan, and, and you know they had their down years, and then suddenly they had their really good years, uh, it, it all came together. Um, you know, as, as an older fan, and that's why I, w- I wanted to write a book, because no one sells tradition and history like them, but, you know, they, they also have uh, the dark side throughout their whole 113 or 114 year history. Yeah, and I want to get to that. And there's nothing like sports nostalgia. Just uh, it's a fascinating topic of discussion. And you co-wrote the book with David Hinckley. Just tell us a little bit about him before we get into some of the information you've published. Sure. David is my longtime colleague at the New York Daily News. Um, He's a, a culture writer, but he is probably the most rabid baseball fan I've ever met. Uh, he grew up in Brooklyn, so he was a Dodger fan when they were the boys of summer. And, of course, the old cliche, when his heart got broken, when they moved out west with the Giants the same year. But he's kept up with the game. He still loves the Dodgers. And he was able to give um, some of the chapters. We split the chapters up uh, pretty much 50-50. So he was able to give his side from a baseball fan's perspective. Uh, even though it is the dark side, as I mentioned, it all comes from from love, whether it's love for the Yankees per se or love for baseball per se. Now I know you want us to buy the book, but you got to give us some of the goods today on the radio. Where, where did where did you come up with this stuff? A lot of it was just uh, um, 
things that I knew, having read, I don't, I don't know, dozens and dozens of baseball books. I have every yearbook probably going back into the late 50s. I've met a lot of these players. That, uh, I was an entertainment writer for a long time at the Daily News, but I, I also was, uh, you know, the geek who, who went to fantasy camp a couple of years ago and, and was able to talk to a lot of these guys personally, some of the older guys from the 60s and 70s who knew Mantle and knew Billy Martin and Thurman Munson. So it all came together. And then if you look and you really research, uh, you know, there's a wonderful thing called Google, but it, it, there's also, it's just out there. And so we just put it all together. And, and, and that's where it is. And I was surprised. You know, you know, you think when you're a longtime fan that you know mostly everything there is to know about the team. But there is stuff that if you really dig down, you'd be surprised if you found. Has it been sanctioned by the Yankees? I don't. I don't think they love it. Uh, I mean, I've tried. I go to a couple of games a year, and I've tried to get into the press box and and talk to Michael Kay, who are, who is our big announcer here. And I got the cold shoulder. I don't know. It's because they're just normally very uh, um, reticent and you know iron curtain like with their security, or maybe they just don't want to speak to me. But. Um, it'd be nice to think that they did know it existed and they didn't want to talk to me because, that, you know, that'll make a great jacket. The book the Yankees don't want you to read. Well, most books about the Yankees chronicle their fabled history. And so maybe the thought is, why expose this darker side? Well, the word expose, like I said, is, is a little, is a little uh, rough because these, these stories are out there. What we just did was gather them together. Uh, but like I said, we did it with love. We did it with a great sense of humor. It's, it's, it's a lighthearted look. I left out a lot of things. Uh, a couple of players that played, especially during the the, uh, the 90s, late 90s dynasty that are currently in prison. And I, I shied away from, you know, the very sad saga that, that's continuing to this day about Dwight Gooden uh, and even Daryl Strawberry, who's turned his life around but had a very, very tumultuous life and career. And I tried to get away with that and just stick to some of the stuff that was more fun. Uh, and if we did get into some heavy things, it was with players that were, were way in the early past from, you know, the, the turn of the 20th century and, and uh, you know, the teens and the 1910s and the 1920s. I'd like to get back to some of that. Um, and, and we're talking about the very early days of the New York Yankees, Babe Ruth, of course. What kinds yeah. of stories, salacious stories, do you tell about Babe Ruth? Well, everybody knows his appetite for life. And that appetite included, you know, hot dogs and, and women. And supposedly he can run through a brothel in one night and try uh, the entire staff. And uh, in 1925, he had the famous bellyache hurt around the world where he missed about half the season. And rumors are that he was suffering from a, a hellacious STD that kept him out of the games. But when you, when you start digging, you find out that he had been arrested a couple of times, one of which was um, not, not so bad, but he was caught speeding at, at, in Manhattan before a game. Uh, and at the time, he had a $500 uh, fine in his contract for every game that he missed. So when they caught him speeding, they threw him in a jail cell. Someone paid his bail, and the cops actually uh, did a police escort to the stadium. So he got there at about the seventh inning and, you know, um, got to play. Um, that doesn't sound as bad, though, as some of the other escapades he has. There is an instance where he was in Milwaukee and he was being chased by a jealous husband with a gun 
and the babe was naked running down the street. Um, the husband had caught him, obviously, with his wife. Another instance, and this stuff never came out because reporters didn't, didn't tell about it back then, but uh, there was the players got a real hoot watching Babe go from train to train when they traveled by train, being chased by a woman with a knife because she was a lover scorned. And then there was one other instance where he was actually sued by an underage girl, a shop girl, as they were called then, who accused him of impregnating her, of promising to marry her and then reneging, and he settled out of court. So you can imagine if that happened these days, how scandalous that would be. It would be all the headlines for sure. Yeah. When we come back, we want to hear your stories about DiMaggio, Jackson, Maris, Mantle, Jeter. Uh, you'll give okay. us some goods when we come back? Yeah, you got it. Thank A- you. And your phone calls as well here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, 416-360-0740, You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. As my happy gang colleague, Neil Headley, would say, this is just fun. (laughs) This is a lot of fun. We're speaking with Robert Dominguez, baseball historian, lifelong Yankees fan, former writer, editor of the New York Daily News. His book, which he co-wrote with David Hinckley, is called Bronx Bummers, the unofficial history of the New York Yankees, bad boys, blunders, and brawls. Tell us about Joe DiMaggio. Well, Joe uh, is a lot like Derek Jeter was in in modern day, and even though, um, I mean, he was a god, he was, he was um, to fans, and yet he was one of the most selfish players that people don't realize. Uh, he wouldn't play hurt for the most part um, when he wanted to be in the lineup, and he was obviously hurt. He would force his way in, and this is when Joe McCarthy was the manager in the 40s especially, and he almost cost them a championship or two because he insisted on being in there. And it wasn't until there was a game in the World Series, and I think we're talking the 47 World Series, when he actually looked so bad and misplayed a ball because he had been hurt all year with bone spurs that uh, he finally took himself out and pretended that he couldn't play anymore, but he was just embarrassed. So, you know, everyone uh, props him up as the Yankee Clipper, the, the great, uh, bridge between the Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig era and the Mickey Mantle um, dynasty of the 50s and 60s. But Joe had his, his, his ways. He wasn't a very encouraging teammate. He made one or two friends on the team. He wasn't a big mentor. He wasn't just one of the guys. And, you know, it was just his personality. Uh, so when you look into him and, and, and hear that, and one thing we did not touch on, obviously, this because this was after his playing days anyway, but uh, he also wasn't very nice to Marilyn Monroe when they were married. Well, that was going to be my next question. What was yeah. that all about? <laughs> well, uh, you know, it was later on. He was a very, I think he was just a very insecure man. And when you're married to the world's greatest sex symbol, um, it just drives you a little bit crazy. And, you know, she may not have been the most loyal wife as well, which is what the intimations were. But uh, by by several accounts, he did put his hands on her when they were married, which didn't help. Um, they were only married a few months, as a matter of fact, yeah. nine months. But, um, you know, he going back to it, Joe was not the nicest of men. So it's what I intimated about before was back then, reporters wouldn't say that. They wouldn't go into the clubhouse and uh, because they'd be ostracized. And it wasn't until later on that, you know, um, that line was, was totally blurred where 
players' private lives are, are just public right now. Oh, and that's a really good point, because today that information would be exposed, no doubt about it. But back oh, then, the information was shared amongst reporters, journalists, but it wasn't shared with the public. Sure. It, it couldn't be. I mean, there was an unwritten code that you just didn't do that. Those stories about Babe Ruth being chased by, by jealous women and, and, and jealous husbands, that would have been out in two seconds. And imagine these days with social media, where everybody carries a video camera in their high-def video camera in their pocket or a pocketbook. Um, you know, these things would just be out there for public knowledge. We're having a thing now in New York with a New York Giants football kicker who, who uh, was abusive towards his wife, and it's just an outcry, get rid of him. It's only suspended one game. So you can imagine, if, if Joe DiMaggio, hero to them all, uh, it had come out that he was abusive to women yeah. and not a good teammate and a selfish player, it, we, we may not be idolizing him the way we do. Or then again, we might, who knows? I have lots of questions for Robert Dominguez. You may as well. You're welcome to call in or just listen. 416-360-0740-1866-744-740. What about Reggie Jackson? Well, we have Reggie Jackson, uh, who has uh, a case unto himself, uh, you know, a very selfish, egotistical um, for himself superstar that came to the Yankees in, in the mid-70s. And, you know, immediately alienated all his teammates by, by making fun of Thurman Munson, who was the Yankee captain back then. So that's all public and very well known. What we do include is how much he was pretty much disliked by his teammates even years later. So it took five years for Jackson to be there. And his last year with the Yankees was in 81. When they, when they won the pennant, they had a big party at the stadium. And all of a sudden, uh, there was a big tumult. Uh, at the party, and it was because Greg Nettles, the third baseman, their very good third baseman, took a swing at, at Jackson and put him up on his butt. Um, and I think most people weren't wondering why that happened. It's just that why it took so long for one of his teammates to clock him in the mouth. Um, we have a lot of, actually, we have maybe half a dozen good chapters on fights bet- between teammates and even one of the former owners in the 40s who just went wild one night and uh, after a celebration as well, and actually took a punch at one of his partners, took a punch at his uh, general manager, took a swing at a reporter, insulted a bunch of wives, player wives and executives' wives, and the very next morning he was brought out. Uh, his name is Lee McPhail, and he's actually in the, in the Hall of Fame as an owner, but he had his problems too. So Was that an alcohol-infused thing? Was that an alcohol That was problem? a very alcohol-infused yeah. thing. They called him the Raging Redhead, and... He was the guy. If you ever, if you ever heard of the story when uh, the Yankees and the Yankee owner and one of the Boston Red Sox owners actually traded Joe DiMaggio for Ted Williams, uh, and then in the morning after the hangover was done, they realized that what they had, what they had said, and they canceled the deal. That was the owner who did that. Ah, interesting stuff. Um, yeah. Maris and Mantle, Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle. Um, the movie 61 with the asterisk that Billy Crystal produced. Yeah, great movie, actually. Oh, that is one of my favorite sports movies. If you haven't seen 61, it was not in very wide release at all. It would have come out when? Like about 15 years ago, I'm thinking? I, I'm pretty sure it was about that. Yeah. yeah. It, it was written and directed by uh, Billy Crystal, or at least directed by Billy Crystal. Right. Was that, was that a pretty uh, accurate portrayal of those two men? 
I think it was. I asked around. When I went to a fantasy camp where I had a chance to speak to about six or seven of Mantle's old teammates, he, he had died by then. And they loved the movie. They said it was very realistic. You know, everyone everyone took sides during that big home run chase in 61, where Mantle was actually the, the Yankee who had been booed because everyone felt he was an underachiever. And Maris was, once Maris started uh, approaching the record that belonged to Babe Ruth, the fans turned on Maris thinking it should be a, a quote, true Yankee, you know, a, a born and bred through the farm system Yankee like Mantle. And it turned the fans around to suddenly start idolizing Mickey Mantle again. Uh, it, it pretty much destroyed Roger Maris because he was such a sensitive soul from the Midwest. Yeah. But their relationship, everybody, the press especially, they said they were enemies, that they were rivals. And all these guys that I spoke to, the old Yankees, they said that it, that was all bull, that the movie got it right. They were, weren't the best of friends because Mickey was a carouser and Maris was a family man, but that they actually got along very well, respected each other tremendously, and were pulling for each other. Uh, the actor who played Roger Maris uh, was just excellent. He just pulled at your heartstrings the way he, you know, when he would call his wife and say, honey, can you come for this game? It would mean a lot for me because he just needed that security and she couldn't because of the kids. And you just yeah. felt for this guy. You're right. He was so sensitive. Yeah, that was Barry Pepper who did an amazing job as Maris. So uh, Crystal, who is, you know, probably the number one Yankee fan of all time, right. <laughs> he, this, was, this was a labor of love for him, and every bit of that love for the Yankees and tradition, and he was friends with both of them, especially Mickey Mantle. I mean, uh, you know, he gave the eulogy at Mantle's funeral. Uh, he put that out on screen, so that was, that was a very touching thing. So that's one of the things that we sort of gloss over, um, but we do have some Mickey Mantle stuff in there about how he was a carouser, which wasn't a secret. I mean, Jim Bouton in his book Ball Four in the early 70s brought that out. But we do, we do touch on the famous Copacabana brawl, which is in 56, where Billy Martin, uh, who was a bad influence on Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford, Hank Bauer, a couple of other players, and their wives got into a big brawl. Uh, a couple of guys got hurt. Yankees got arrested, and they used it as an excuse to trade Billy Martin away so that he wouldn't be an influence on Mickey Mantle. What about Derek Jeter? We don't have a whole lot of time left. And of course, I want to get your 30-second analysis on our amazing Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, I'll get into that, too. I'm a little bit jealous about how well they're doing. <laughs> Jeter, Jeter, let me tell you, Jeter knows how to, that public uh, image that he has carefully crafted, there's nothing you can say bad about him except maybe he liked women, and so what? He never, you know, hurt them or... or you know, he was a playboy, and he enjoyed his time here now, uh, now that he's married. But um, what happened, we do have a couple of things where teammates actually betrayed him. One was the cousin of Mariano Rivera, Ruben Rivera, who was supposed to be the next Mickey Mantle in the 90s, came back to the Yankees uh, after having been gone. They gave him a million-dollar contract, and what does he do during spring training? He steals Derek Jeter's glove and a couple of other pieces of equipment and sells them to a dealer for $1,500. And that was, you know, that's like the ultimate betrayal when you steal from a teammate. Yeah. And he was drummed off the team even though he was Mariano's cousin. And another player we had here on the Yankees named Chad Curtis, uh, he was the left fielder during their dynasty of the late 90s. He betrayed Jeter by publicly berating him when Jeter didn't want to get into a fight. Um, during one of these benches-clearing brawls against the Mariners. He was actually talking it up with his then-pal, Alex Rodriguez. 
And Chad Curtis made sure that everyone saw it on TV, that he was trying to set the young man straight. They went into the clubhouse. He did it again in front of reporters. And Chad Curtis, who was a very serviceable left fielder, he was gone at the end of the year because you just don't mess with Derek Jeter. Robert Dominguez is the co-author of Bronx Bummers, the unofficial history of the New York Yankees, bad boys, blunders, and brawls. I literally have 30 seconds left, Robert. What do you think about the Blue Jays? I think the Blue Jays are going to win the East this year. Um, they may not be able to outslug the Red Sox, but they have very deep pitching. They have Josh Donaldson having another MVP-type year. And I think they're going to take the East. And all they have to do is just last through the playoffs because everyone's going for the wild card. It's going to be a madhouse in September. There's six or seven teams piled up with almost identical records. But uh, Toronto fans should be proud. I think uh, they're heading back to the playoffs. And it could even be their year. I don't think there's any team that's strong in the East, I mean, in the uh, American League, to be able to overtake them at this point. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you, Robert. Oh, Jane, thank you very much. Talk all, soon. all the best with your book. Thank Love you. talking Bye-bye. about baseball. Baseball, great. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.